I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Uh, welcome to the Trampoline Hall podcast. I am your host. My name is Misha Globerman. This podcast may contain mature language. May contain mature language. So let that entice you. Uh, Trampling Hall is a lecture series that takes place in a bar. That bar is usually in Toronto, but sometimes it's in other cities. Not that the bar moves, but that we go to other cities. Um, people give lectures on all kinds of subjects. Uh, the one rule is that uh, they cannot speak on subjects on which they are professionally expert. It might be something they know a lot about, but it can't be their job to know that thing. After each lecture, we take questions from the audience, and that Q&A becomes part of the podcast, too. We've been doing Trampling Hall for a long time, and when we first started doing the show... Um, the shows were selling out and we were selling tickets at the door and I was sort of like thought oh there's there should be some way we can make money off this um, and it, it and, and Sheila who started the show with me was like that's a dumb idea and I was like no we, we, we should be able to make money money's coming at the door and Sheila was like that's not how these things work and and she was right <laughs> um, it took and it took a while to figure it out but but the 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 way the trampoline hall works now is that people pay money at the door and that money sort of covers a couple of really small costs that we have and then at the end of the year we try to blow all that money on a big party where everybody who works on the show uh, comes and enjoys themselves and, and 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 that's about it sometimes we have some leftover money we give it to people as a Christmas bonus and the reason is that if, is that so many people work on Trampoline Hall. And if you take all the money that comes in through the door and you try to pay everybody, first of all, it would be just an incredible amount of bureaucratic work to try to divide all that up. But also the end amount of money that everyone would get, end up getting paid would be like $2 an hour. And, and one thing that I think I've come to believe is that it's, it's better to work for free uh, than to work for $2 an hour, in, in, at least in this context, not in, not in all of them, I guess. One thing that I figured out is that in some cases, it's just better to work for free than to work for really small amounts of money. Because if you're working for free, then you find you find motivations in yourself that are that are not to do with money at all. Whereas if you're getting paid a little bit of money, all of a sudden you have a terribly paying job. And I think we didn't want Trampoline Hall to be a terribly paying job for people. So there you go. Trampoline Hall is one of the things in the world that runs not on money, but on love. Uh, and maybe you can uh, sense that as you listen to the show. See if you can hear the love in the air as you listen to this particular episode. Uh, I guess that's enough about the show in general. Let's introduce uh, this episode's lecture. The lecture is entitled Decisive Karaoke Moments, and the lecturer is Mira Margaret Singh. Hi, everyone. 
Um, so the 22-year-old me would never have been able to walk on this stage, hold a microphone or stand in front of a microphone and listen to my voice being projected. It wasn't that I was at a loss for words or that I couldn't speak or I had trouble, but I just had this, there was a combination of the performance of speaking, singing, that was actually kind of mortifying to me. Uh, today I'm not entirely comfortable with it, but I can safely say that I'm here today because of one thing only, and that is karaoke. <laughs> Karaoke's literal translation is empty orchestra. And I could say maybe for me at 22, if I was sort of to surmise the essence of me, I would have been empty voice. So my lecture tonight is sort of, I guess, about how empty voice met empty orchestra and how their tumultuous, at the beginning tumultuous, and then impassioned relationship evolved. So first I'm going to take you back to 1993. Um, I was madly in love with this man named Anthony. We had been together for four years, and um, he had long hair like Chris Cornell's, and um, he had this sort of anti-establishment, rebellious way of living, and he introduced me, I mean, I was kind of stuck in my love of 80s new wave, and he introduced me to grunge. And I have this vivid memory of being with him. I mean, we had gone to India together. I had shared my deepest, darkest secrets. He knew the worst of me and the best of me. And the one thing I remember is being in his beat-up baby blue Honda and driving in Winnipeg um, down the highway. And the windows were open, and it was the summer, so it was really hot. And Dinosaur Jr. was playing. And it was from my favorite album, Green Mind, and it was the title track, Green Mind. And I love that song. It was something about Jay Maskus's croaky voice and the lyrics, and I felt unbelievably impassioned when I would hear this song. So we're in the car, and I want to sing. I want to sing with the song, and I realize I can't. And I look over, and Anthony's like singing completely out of tune, but he's singing. And so there was something there because I, there was this person that I loved more than anything or anyone in the world at the time. And I couldn't sing in front of him. I could tell him all my deepest, darkest secrets, but I couldn't sing. So underneath all of that, I guess, was this deep-seated fear of being a failure at that kind of performance. And even if it was an intimate performance with two so fast forward four years, and um, I'm heading to Japan. I've never done anything that adventurous in my life necessarily, and I hadn't really thought about the pragmatics. I mean, I'm moving there to pay off student loans and to, of course, experience, uh, just have a different experience in my life. But essentially, um, I really hadn't envisioned what life would be like there. I was shy. Um, before I left, I was still making my sister call the Winnipeg Public Library for me to ask if my books were overdue because I was so <laughs> embarrassed. So I get to Japan, and um, I had arrived a few weeks before I started teaching, and um, the staff had organized a bonenkai for me, which is a welcome party. And I didn't really know what that entailed, and I, you know, essentially we went to this amazing restaurant and had the best sushi in the city and um, they started to, I'd never had sushi before, it was Winnipeg, it's a bit uh, suspicious having 
fish. Um, anyway, so um, I end up uh, sitting there, and I'm sitting beside my principal and vice principal. They actually look identical, and they're probably 80-something. And they, you know when people tie their bow ties or their, their ties so tight that their flesh hangs over? It, they, they were like that, and, and nary an expression <laughs> on their faces. And I felt really nervous being around them. I, I didn't know how to react, and very few people spoke English except for the English teachers. And so I ended up sitting there, and the, they kept asking me to try new fish and to try sake, and I'd never tried sake, and I was a bit of a lightweight in terms of drinking. And so I try the sake, and it tastes really good, and I have a sip, and then the waiter keeps coming and filling up my glass. And, you know, I kept saying, no, 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 really, no, thank you, no, no. And, of course, the waiter keeps filling it. And so this sort of ritual keeps going throughout the night until I can't really focus anymore. The room starts spinning. I'm feeling completely like I'm out of control, but I'm sitting there, um, you know, acting composed. And, uh, you know, essentially I didn't understand the custom that if you finish something, they will refill. For me, it was like you finish what is put on your plate or in this case in your glass. So um, I realize I'm in the home stretch because I can see people, you know, shuffling and leaving and the waiters taking away the plates and um, I'm thanking God that I'm going to be going home because I'm losing my, you know, my focus. And what ends up happening is one of the teachers comes up and says, Mira Sensei, would you like to sing karaoke? Which was like, would I like to enter my own nightmare? <laughs> I, no, no, no. I'm, I, you know, I protested, but of course, when I don't know if any of you have been to Japan, but when you protest, it's again like saying no to the sake. Like you, you're, you have no choice but to suck it up. So, I end up in a karaoke booth, and I had no idea how what the what the procedure was. I mean, I knew that people sang to the monitor with, you know, lyrics on it. But the problem was I couldn't read the lyrics because I was so drunk. So <laughs> I knew that I had to pick a song that I knew all the lyrics to. And the only thing I could think of at the time was I was like, okay, anything by Madonna, just anything by Madonna. I'll, I'll know it because then I could not read. And so um, I, I'm, I'm dreading this experience. I'm holding the microphone the music starts coming on. And so I'm like, I made it through the wilderness. Somehow I made it through. And then all of a sudden something happens. I kind of close my eyes and drone out the people around me. And I start feeling the lyrics and feeling the song and kind of feeling like Madonna. And... So I start getting a little raunchy. I, I don't know, so, something happened. And I, I just decided to crawl up on the table. And, and there was the principal and vice principal. And I hadn't started teaching at this point. Like, this is my welcome party. And so I'm standing on the table and I unbuttoned my top. It was the part where, and, and, and then I just, pushed my breasts together and it was like like a virgin and I just the only thing I really remember was the lack of expression again on these two faces as they were staring up at me I mean 
I think the thing that happened was, I mean, it was transformative in some capacity, maybe for everybody involved. But I, I felt that there was something that happened there where suddenly I realized I had a voice. It wasn't a good voice, but it was a voice. And it was also that the performance itself, despite being you know, a shamed performance, um, there was also this enormous sense of liberation. So it was not enough for me, for me to really, like, get over my fear of performing, but it, um, it was like I had sort of dipped my toe in it, but I really didn't have a desire to go back into that water um, until two months later. Two months later, um, I'm approached by the music teacher at my school, Matsumoto Sensei. And um, we were preparing for what's called a, um, uh, oh, all of a sudden I'm blanking on it. It's a, a bunkasai. Bunkasai is a cultural day in Japan. And essentially what that means is that all the schools open up their doors to the public and everybody sort of shows off what they're, you know, what they do, the... Uh, flower arranging people, you know, demonstrate that, all the rest. I really hadn't participated in anything. And then three days before the the bunkasai, this teacher comes up to me. I didn't know he even spoke English. He had never spoken to me before. So he says, "Um, Mira-sensei, it's the bunkasai, and you are Canada-jin, you're Canadian. Celine Dion is Canada-jin. And I'm like, Yeah? And then he says, so you must sing Celine Dion. And I was like, no, no, I I can't sing. And then he said, yes, it's for Culture Day. And he said, the band has been practicing for three months. And I was like, what band? And he said, brass band. So I was like, the brass band has been practicing. Okay. So I said, no, really, I can't. And he had a cassette tape. It was uh, old school. He, he handed me a cassette tape that said Celine Dion Titanic on it. And I went home, and I called my go-between, who was, sort of took care of business for me. And I said, I can't do this. I was just handed this cassette tape. I don't know what to do. And he said, you can't get out of it. So I sat in my kitchen with a pen and paper, and I kept pressing play and then pause and, like, writing down the lyrics and every night in my dreams. Um, and, and I got the lyrics. I had to try and memorize these lyrics. And the day, you know, the Bunkasai day approaches. And um, I walk up. I'm sort of shuffling in a similar way, <laughs> you know, in the back room. And I didn't realize what was happening in the auditorium. But when I came out, uh, there were 2,000 people. (laughs) And so what I didn't realize was that not only was it all of the students in my class, or the school I was teaching in, it was all of their parents. It was all of the members of the community at large. And um, I walked out on stage, and I I, I almost, like, just a little vomit in the mouth. Anyway, but it was really... Uh, petrifying and so I go up to, to the microphone and there is the brass but they actually look you know when I see glee now I'm kind of like like a nerdier version they were all back there with their instruments and they start this sort of warbled like Aah! and and then they start but the thing is like we had never practiced so 
the way I had been practicing in my kitchen was to start like every night in my dreams, you know. But they were like ah, like so high that I couldn't go low, and so I had to start high. And if you know that song, it only gets higher. And so I'm starting at notes I can like I'm starting at my maximum capacity and. And so then it goes, it goes so high, like, near, far, wherever you are. And I, I can't reach them, so I'm just lip-syncing at that point. And, you know, and then, and then the students are, like, cheering. They think it's amazing. And I, anyway, it was so surreal. Um, but, but again, it was, like, this point where it's, like, I don't know. I just, I guess I felt like the standards by all means was it was a complete failure i mean there actually is video footage of it uh which i sent home to my sister afterwards and she called me to say i literally like like bits of i i peed a little bit and she just she was just like it was the most obnoxious thing um but what i felt at the time like there was something again that happened um <laughs> i wasn't celine dion clearly but there was something about the fact that I liked me trying to be Celine Dion, the failed Celine Dion. It was kind of exhilarating. I mean, um, after that, I was committed. I was not committed to becoming a good singer, um, but I was committed to becoming comfortable with the act of performance without the looming and numbing fear of failure. Karaoke became a medium that, you know, it aimed to not be perfect. Karaoke's inherent nature is that it's amateuristic. So it was a medium that kind of rewarded me for my attempts, despite the outcome. So I got a membership, unlimited karaoke for $50 a month at this place uh, in Japan. I sang at least, at least a minimum of uh, once a week for the next year and a half that I lived there. And that didn't mean that I was always with groups of people. Sometimes I was just with one other person. Sometimes I went by myself, admittedly. It was through, it's cheaper than therapy. Um, it was through this that I sort of began to enjoy the process of singing, but particularly with others. So when I moved to Toronto just over um, two years ago, I moved in with two of the best roommates imaginable. One of these women, I'll call her Kodachrome to protect her identity. <laughs> she may or may not be in the audience. Um, she introduced me to several of her friends who also had a penchant for the booth. And there were five of us at the start, and I remember feeling a slight sense of dread when um, I had to, you know, when I was approaching our first night together. Uh, I didn't know any of these songbirds, and I didn't, I wondered if my selections would be too generic or too 80s or too boring. And when we got into the booth, something almost magical ensued. Kodachrome sang Kodachrome by Paul Simon. Um, I think that might have been her only song because she really was a timid performer back then. Ariel, I'll call him, sang Part of Your World from the Little Mermaid <laughs> film while dancing lasciviously against a wall. Halo, I will call him, <laughs> sang Beyonce's Halo and it melted my heart. In fact, every time I sing with him now, I, I'm like, Halo, Halo, Halo. I just can't get enough. Showtime, aptly named, sang Streisand's Woman in Love and had us all swooning. And I knew 
than a new bar at that point had been set. That was the birth of our group called the Karaoke All-Stars. We still gather on a semi-regular basis, and we're always challenging ourselves with new songs. In fact, we have this acronym NSD for New Song Developments, which we shout out (laughs) enthusiastically before a song. NSD, NSD. Um, uh, But we do reworkings of old numbers as well. But when we bomb on a song, safe space. When we nail a song, we sort of all feel the glory. In the past two years, Kodachrome has moved from being the most passive of the bunch to the MVP. I mean, once reluctant, she now organizes our gatherings. And her repertoire has grown. I mean, she does Coolio to Manilo. And her voice has really strengthened. So... I think watching Kodachrome embrace her voice and the ability to perform while using it mirrored my own expression, uh, my own experience. It allowed me to reflect upon it as well. And it became abundantly clear to me that my story was not just my story, it was a shared one. And that through the process, voices have been strengthened. Joy in the process ends up trumping the search for perfection. And that the torch, or more aptly, the mic, Uh, will continue to be passed on. Thank you. Mira Margaret Singh, ladies and gentlemen. You're listening to the Trampoline Hall Podcast. I'm Misha Goldman. Up next, we'll Q&A. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Are there, are there any questions? Yes. So, yes, you, yes. How did your initial karaoke uh, performance affect your standing in the school? <laughs> How did, did people see you differently in the school after your initial karaoke performance is the question? Uh, well, the funny thing is, is I was so upset about it in the morning, you know, the realization, this vision of having my vice principal and principal staring at me with my cleavage in their faces. And I... I thought, you know, I, I didn't know if I'd actually be able to teach. I didn't know if I'd still, if they still accepted me. But I think what happened was um, I was told at that time, the great thing about Japan is that you can have an experience like that, but nobody will ever talk about it again. Not, <laughs> at least not to your face. So I kind of lived in this 
terrific oblivion for the next two years. So the, great thing, the thing about trash pants specifically is that people will tolerate any degree of drunkenness <laughs> and don't communicate that's about right. anything. That's exactly. Okay, that's good. That's, uh, yeah, that fits my, really my own stereotypes. But do you th- did you get the sense? Did you get the sense that when they invited you to the Celine Dion song, were they like, "Oh, you were so awesome when you did that Madonna thing"? We wanted an encore of that, or were they just wow. like? Every Canadian must sing Celine no, Dion. No, I think it was the latter. It was I a think it was so like wasn't. Celine Canadian, and they had just prepared. They were like, "We have a we have a new teacher. She's Canadian. Let's do something around this." Theme. Uh, so any anybody anybody in this room, any any Canadian there would have had, I would have had to sing Celine Dion, or, yes. or maybe something. Yeah. Okay. Well, okay. well, that would have been great. Uh, yeah, like, I, 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 it would have been. Um, okay. Uh, yes, yes, you, ma'am. Yes. I'm just curious. Do you always sing solo, or can you? get your cohorts to sing backup with you? Do you, you sing like solo or do you, do you Absolutely, get the- yeah. Sometimes you get backups even when you don't want them. But all-stars have rules. Um, and I do love a duet. I love a duet. Even when something isn't meant to be a duet, I like turning it into a duet. Yeah. Right. Especially, you know, like with Kodachrome, I would say that that's kind of how it started where she would just sort of back up a little bit and then you could see how she started to front up. <laughs> you just sort of sing, sing quieter and quieter and she'd sing louder yeah. and louder until it would yeah. just become her song. Exactly. All right, okay, cool. Um, yes, you say yes. Uh, are there any songs you badly want to sing that you've never found in any karaoke place? songs you want to sing that you've never found? Yeah, you know, one that's really hard to find is um, Joey by Concrete Blonde. That's uh, I mean, that's and you would think... You would yeah. think that would be like the second one they'd get. They'd be yeah. like, well, well, we have Joey. my way. What should yeah. we get next? Probably Joey. That yeah, would be like. Joey. Exactly. Yeah. That's weird. That's one. I know that there must be others, but um, I'm blanking right now. Are you asked? Are you asked because you're thinking of starting a karaoke song company, or just are you just curious? Or? <laughs> it was more because I, I, the last time I sang karaoke, I found a song that I never thought I would find. It was, what was it? Uh, it was it was Pussy Control by Prince. <laughs> That is surprising. Anything else? Do you ever do you ever sing in places? Do you only sing in the sort of booth places, or, or do you ever yeah. sing in the places where you actually where you get up on stage and in, in front of a crowd? One time in Kamloops, BC, <laughs> I was there and I was by myself and I was dying to sing and I didn't know anybody and I went to a bar and right. I signed up and I sang and then. I sang Total Eclipse of the Heart and was totally impassioned and all these, these men were in the back going, take it off, and then I left. <laughs> oh, that's horrible. That was, <laughs> it's actually that's kind of fun. But yeah, and that... That suits, that suits my image of Kamloops as well as your story of Japan suits my image of Japan. Your story is just reinforcing all my geographical stereotypes <laughs> fantastically. Um, that's, but it's, it's a sad, that's a very sad story. But yeah. do you think... So, so that's, and did you... Did you um, but did you... So, but you, is that the only time you've ever actually gotten on stage and done, and done that sort of karaoke thing? Was just... And it was in a... Because it was just... Obviously, Kamloops probably doesn't have the Koreatown-style, right. like, private room karaoke. Um, well, actually, my uh, friend uh, Luke Painter and I, um, we organize a show called K-Town now. And K-Town is essentially... Um, it's a touring exhibit where we get um, artists to create videos to their favorite karaoke songs. And we usually transform galleries, but it's not specific to galleries, into karaoke lounges. And then when you go up to sing, you know, to, you know, your song is played, you select your song, then an artist video comes up. So um, in that case, we have been on stage to do it depending on the venue. Okay. But right. yeah, I, pr- I prefer the intimacy of the booth. Okay, all right, anything else? Also, Any other this guys? sound is usually better. Right, sure. 
Okay. Anything else? Any other questions that people have? Yes. Okay. I can't see you because you're in the darkness, but I know you exist. Yes. Um, if you could have picked another Canadian artist instead of Celine Dion, would you? Were you to pick? Were you to have to pick another Canadian apart from excellent first choice Celine Dion? Who, who would it be? Do you have Do you have like a grant to ask that question, or are you just, are you just curious? Yeah, I know. Hey. CanCon, CanCon. <laughs> Tell us more about the Canadian component of your experience. I mean, it'd have to be time-specific. Maybe it would have been, like, ironic by Morissette or something, like, a bit more edgy. But I, I can't really think of one right now. Uh, yeah. Anyone else? Like, do you guys? What would you... What would you, what would you, what would you pick? What would you What's pick a good, for? I, oh. Johnny Mitchell or Leonard Cohen yeah, yeah. or two... A, a good, Very a fine good, Leonard Cohen. But like, I don't have the Leonard voice. Yeah. But Halo, who sings Halo, he can apparently do a. Okay. I'm your man. Lover boy. Yes. <laughs> I'm sort of getting a sense of like what your process right. is, and your it's like oh, there's some uh, recommendation and enthusiasm, and then uh, I, I can see how you would get somewhere eventually. Uh, uh, although I still like the Alanis Morissette choice. That's yeah, also, I mean, also Canadian. You could really let loose with that one. I think. All right. Okay. Oh yes, yes, you ma'am. Yes. Would you ever post your singing video on YouTube? Would you ever post your singing video on YouTube of the Celine Dion one that you told us existed and then didn't show us and then we were all kind of curious about it and we're like, huh, when do we get to see that part of this story? I don't think so. I think it's one of those things like your little treasure trove of secrets that you can share with your closest people. Do you ever, when you think about like how helpful the, that initial karaoke experience was in your life, do you ever think that maybe posting that video to YouTube would be a sort of similar next step toward your kind of like upward trajectory as a human? I think I think it might be a fast descent. <laughs> right, but. Okay. but actually, I'm actually curious in terms of that. In terms of that. In terms of that idea that when you talk about you sort of talk about how karaoke made you a, a sort of less shy person. But the examples you gave were mostly examples where it made you a less shy person about karaoke. But mm. I, I'm curious if it, it, it like like are there other things like like does it like can you call the library now? Yeah. For instance. I mean, the thing is that you know concurrent to this happening, I, I was teaching and I hadn't, like I hadn't envisioned what that would be, but it helped me to teach. I, I teach now and I think the only reason why I'm able to do it is because of karaoke. And I also didn't realize that when I went to Japan, part of the curriculum was to teach the carpenters top of the world again what? and again and again. What? How is that? Is that just, again, is that just something they told you? Because they like were like, oh, make They're like, it oh, it's English class and everybody loves this song. So they teach the great works of so, English, of well, English poetry, see, which is... So you have yeah. to like play the song and sing along with it, at least high school, and fill out the blanks, like you leave certain words out. I'm on top of the... Mm, uh, you know, like that. And so, <laughs> that prepares people for such a limited range of social interactions. Like, I think of like, it's such a bad it's ESL nice program. To meet you. I'm on top of the world. Yeah. Top of the Looking world. down on. Yeah. <laughs> Very nice to meet you, too. Yeah, so it actually, I think, you know, karaoke helped me to teach and particularly teach that. Okay, okay. Lesson. But again, I guess what I'm trying to do yeah. is see whether it, whether it broadens away from the sort of specific things where you have to sing songs. Yes. Or whether, like, does it help you teaching in general? Or do yeah. you, like, are you, do you find, so it does help with teaching in yeah, general? Yeah, I think, you know, you know, not, like, I think in general, it's just helped me 
develop a sense of comfort with my voice. Right. I'm not just my singing voice, but my voice voice. Right, right. Your, your, my figure, speaking like your, voice. your speaking voice. But not, yeah. does it help you with like your, your figurative voice? Like yeah, your, like my your, inner what you voice. have to say in the I world. Or those yeah, well, definitely. Actually, actually, I'll ask it seriously. Like, do you, like, do you call the library? Like, are you, like, do you make that phone call now? Like, oh, yeah. So, so yeah. you do? Yeah, okay, I, I don't have fear about it anymore. Okay, and when you do, do you actually much you actually, relief to my sister. <laughs> yeah, your sister. Yeah, okay, all right. And so, yeah. and are there moments? Are there moments where, like, if you're facing something frightening, do you steal yourself by like thinking of like the car like karaoke mirror could do this kind of thing? Like, is that something that <laughs> it becomes a you superhero? Like my yeah, do you picture yourself like singing, and then that gives you confidence before I don't know before something like this, like before coming on stage here, for instance. Like, yeah, I mean, well, actually, yes, because before I came on, I mean, there is a kind of a parallel between karaoke and trampoline hall. It's like you can't really be an expert, right? And you yeah. go up here and, you know, I don't know most of you, but I, you know, can still tell you a story or tell you. And so I think that there is something about that that is significant, the, the parallels. But I, I do, yeah, I do think it, changed, it did change so it's, me. Okay, all right. Okay, cool. That's like, uh, yes, uh, yes, yes, you, yes. Um, I, I don't know why I'm fixated on this, but I really Yeah, what happened? Anthony? Anthony Anthony from the summer. He would of never ever sing karaoke. Um, not I, I, he he uh, what <laughs> he's a philosopher. <laughs> <laughs> like by a philosopher you mean someone with a PhD at a university or a guy in a bar with a lot of wisdom? <laughs> he actually has a PhD. Okay. Alright. Does that sat does that satisfy you? Not entirely. <laughs> what more do you want to know? You're hoping for so much more from him than a PhD yeah. and a job at a university. <laughs> to looking into the nature of truth. It's not enough for you. Uh, yes, yes, sir. Yes. Yes, 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 sir. Do you want us to you want to just sing the first four lines of the Celine Dion song? Not so much a question as a request, but sure. Yeah, and every night in my dreams, I see you, I feel you. Having learned that we're no better than Cam You give me enough sake and I obviously will I think we've established the audience performer relationship that we're looking for So let's end it there Ladies and gentlemen, Mira Margaret Singh, ladies and gentlemen Trampling Hall was created in Toronto in the 21st century by Sheila Hetty and is hosted by me. This episode's lecture was chosen by John Davies. The podcast is produced by Josh Block. Our theme music was composed by Matt Smith. Trampling Hall is a sumo audio podcast. You can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes or your favorite podcast app. And you can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and the World Wide Web. You can also find me, Misha Globerman, on Twitter, Facebook, and the World Wide Web. If you like this podcast, then Sumo Audio has another podcast about chips. It's called JustChips.com. If you like chips, you might like this. Check it out. I'm Misha Globman. Thanks for listening. Hey, it's Danny Pellegrino from Everything Iconic. Ready to upgrade your style game without blowing your budget? 
Check out Quince. They've got all the good stuff, shirts and polos, activewear and fine leather goods, all at 50 to 80% less than other high-end brands. And the best part? They're all about safe, ethical and responsible manufacturing. Get that luxury vibe without the luxury price tag. Hit up quince.com slash upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. That's quince.com slash upgrade. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 